What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Chad and John, the Two Man Power Trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. On Saturday, February 6th from 12 to 1.30 p.m., meet former WWE superstar Kevin Thorne and former ECW World Heavyweight Champion and ECW Original. The franchise, Shane Douglas, live in a living color at Collector's World. Visit CollectorsWorldVA.com for more information on that fantastic event and with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz. And John, I'm not, it's not that I'm rushing today, but we have a power-packed show from top to bottom as we are joined first by the King of the Mountain, the man who is the founder of Global Force Wrestling. Yes, that's right. Double J, Jeff Jarrett joins us to talk about Global Force Wrestling's Northeastern Invasion this coming weekend in New York and New Jersey Stay tuned for all the amazing information about those fantastic events coming up this weekend. And following that, we are joined by the recently released from TNA Wrestling, the man himself known as Manic, known as Suicide. It is TJ Perkins breaking his silence on his TNA departure. And what a talk that is, man. If you like TNA Wrestling and you like how TNA Wrestling does business, man, you don't want to listen to this episode of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. But first, let's talk to the man who got TNA Wrestling off the ground. He is the man who started it all. He is Jeff Jarrett, the king of the mountain, Double J, the chosen one. All the great nicknames, but today's episode is focused directly on Global Force Wrestling. And John, that's where we're going to start off. What do you think about the Global Force Wrestling Northeastern Invasion? And where do we possibly see Global Force Wrestling going from here? Yes, Chatty Boy, back again here at the two-man power trip of wrestling with a huge, monumental episode today, which features not only one, but two interviews. 
First up is somebody that we're very familiar with on the show, someone who I actually interviewed last year, and it was right around the time of Wrestle Kingdom 9, and he was pumping it up for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and of course for Global Force Wrestling, and that is Double J, the King of the Mountain, the Chosen One himself, Jeff Jarrett. And obviously the second part will be TJP, but we'll get to that in a second. Now, first things first, you know, he was kind of a pioneer for our show, and of course I'm speaking of Double J, and he kind of uh, launched us into the podcast stratosphere, if you will, because after I interviewed him, I kind of, you know, set us off into a certain direction, and that direction was, boom, the two-man power trip of wrestling, and it was our podcast here, Chad, and it was amazing to think back at the man with so much lineage in the professional wrestling business, is tied into us and it's just awesome and what an honor it was not only to interview him last year but interview him again this year because he's one of the all-time greats he's one of my all-time favorites and his career in the wrestling business is utterly amazing 30 years wrestling in the business obviously spent his whole life involved in the business with his grandfather obviously with his father and even his grandmother was a promoter as well. So, I mean, he's just been all over the business for his, his whole entire life. And what an honor it was to get him on here again. But let's just get to the question at hand that you asked me. Since we're talking about Global Force and since we're talking about PWS coming up. Now, what do I expect from the Global Force PWS shows? I expect nothing but pure entertainment, obviously starting it off in Poughkeepsie, New York, Friday night, and then on to Saturday night in Rawway, New Jersey. PWS never fails. They're always entertaining, always a fun show. You're always going to get one of those great matches that you just go home thinking about, like, wow, they really tore the house down. Or even a fun match. You know, you're like, oh, that match was very entertaining, very funny. So you kind of get it all with PWS and then you throw in Global Force with the talent they have in that roster and then throw in the fact that Jeff Jarrett will actually be wrestling on those cards. It's just awesome and very, very entertaining. So that's what I expect from the Global Force PWS shows. Obviously the doubleheader for this weekend and I expect huge things. I expect huge crowds and huge turnouts and I expect nothing less you know, from PWS and from Global Force. Now, what do I expect from Global Force going forward, or where do I see them going? I mean, Jeff is an innovator. He is ahead of the curve, always. I mean, he was doing the weekly pay-per-views, and that kind of died out. Now he's thinking more towards this new generation. And like we talked about in my interview, TV deals, quote-unquote, are a little bit passe. I mean, distribution deals are out there. Obviously, there are many wrestling shows that are on TV or have TV deals, but it's not really the way of the future, and pay-per-view business obviously is almost null and void. So right now, you got to think streaming. you got to think of the WWE Network, and obviously that is a streaming service and quite a successful one, and you got to think about Netflix, and you got to think about Hulu and Amazon Prime Video, and all this stuff that's kind of the wave of the future, and we, we get into that a little bit with Jeff. And I definitely think with him being ahead of the curve when he founded TNA, and then obviously he founded Global Force, and he's created 
relationships all around the world, I think that uh, we're going to see something new and something innovative from Global Force. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy the interview we did today with the Chosen One himself, Jeff Jarrett. Now we're going to talk to TJP a little bit later on. But first and foremost, let me send it off to the six-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the four-time WCW Champion, the AAA Mega Champion, the former USWA World Champion. He's a former WWF Intercontinental Champion. Obviously, he's a WWF European Champion, former WWF Tag Team Champion. I mean, he's done it all. He is a wrestling god. He is the chosen one. He is the king of the mountain. He is Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Please enjoy. Today is a man whose accolades, accomplishments, and catchphrases are a virtual episode of the two-man power trip by themselves. But when you are the world's greatest wrestler, world's greatest singer, world's greatest entertainer, the chosen one, the king of the mountain, and you've held the NWA championship six times, the WCW World Championship four times, the Intercontinental Championship six times, you're a former USWA champion, and oh, by the way, you've also founded TNA Wrestling and the Polarizing Global Force Wrestling. It's an honor and privilege to talk to again from the illustrious Jarrett Wrestling family, Jeff Jarrett. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Wow, what an intro on the two-man power trip. Uh, I, I appreciate that. But, uh, no, thanks for having me on. And, uh, um, you know, looking forward to talking to Global Force Wrestling. Uh, you inter- introduced me as the old uh, Double J intro, the world's greatest. And so uh, that's sort of appropriate as, I, as I'm headed to Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, that's the first place that uh, the Double J character uh, persona uh, ever appeared on Monday Night Raw was, was in Poughkeepsie, and, and we're headed back there this weekend. Yes, of course, the iconic Mid-Hudson Civic Center, the site of many Monday Night Raws back in the mid-'90s. But, of course, we're talking about Global Force Wrestling hitting the Northeast in Poughkeepsie, New York, as well as Rahway, New Jersey, teaming up with Pro Wrestling Syndicate, for a couple great shows this coming weekend. And I guess the first place to start is the progression of Global Force Wrestling and how it's grown so much. We just were talking about quickly before we came on, the fact that TV tapings have been going on and the roster is just evolving into this image that you have grown since its inception. But what are your thoughts on how it's grown so far and what you've been able to accomplish in the amount of time since founding Global Force? You know, we had a, a meeting earlier this week with, with some, uh, I'll call them, soon-to-be partners uh, in the business world. And uh, the one thing, you know, they, they as I was discussing and, and, and talking about things, they were all nodding their head, and it's a pretty cool little story in that as they were nodding their head, and I'm like, okay, and they're like, yep, we know this, yep, we know this. And, and, and they go, Jeff, it's, 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 it's no secret. We've watched every step of the way. And I thought, you know, 15 years ago or even – in 2002, when I founded TNA, the, the, the world was not as, I'll call it, as transparent or, you know, you didn't have Periscope and, you know, all these different things to literally watch uh, 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 us. They've watched Global Force Wrestling and, and the team we've got, uh, I'll say, in front of the red light, behind the red light. They've watched us grow 
and that's sort of the cool thing that 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 you know, in 2014 in April, uh, that was basically the day that we just named the company, and and then as the months rolled along and we uh, formed the alliances with different promotions, is a real step-by-step process, and then the Russell Kingdom Nine and bringing Jr. on board and and getting the opportunity to executive produce that and bring that fantastic product uh, for the first time in North America and via flips to the worldwide audience. Uh, and then as we launched the Grand Slam Tour and uh, had the tapings and as we're creating content, you know, just all the step-by-step uh, evolution, it, it's really cool. And now we're kicking off, you know, our, our first events in the Northeast and first events of 2016 in the Northeast, and we've got – you know, several co-branded shows already on the books, and we're going to be making announcements and more coming. And, and then, obviously, the, the, the international uh, agency that we signed on with uh, probably two or three months ago, and as they uh, are out spreading and, 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 and showing the world amped, and as we gear that up, and then, obviously, the, the million-dollar question is the, the United States-U.S. Uh, distribution deal and what's that going to look like and as we continue to work on that. So it's really been a step-by-step process, and the fans – uh, we like to call them the Amped Army, uh, are, are, you know, they're getting on board one at a time. Uh, all of our digital numbers continue to increase. So it's exciting, uh, and it's even more exciting when you sit down with the people who, who are, you know, you think they're going to be brand-new partners, but in essence, they've been watching all along, and, and they're excited to jump on board. And that's because you have been at the forefront. Basically, you're a daily news piece in the pro wrestling journalist world, because since 1999, you have literally been the, i got to say, you're the global force behind how to put a wrestling business together. We've seen you put together TNA. Now we're watching you put together Global Force Wrestling. And to see the progression since, like you said, last year, and even when the name was just announced, I think it really took everybody by surprise. But as you add these partners and as you add these other organizations, are you just like, does it get you as somebody who's been in the business forever just to see this talent, this untapped resource, you know, so to speak, of the independent scene? Does it kind of get you going that you're going to give more people the opportunity to, you know, hone their craft on a big stage? Well, in, in, in uh, you know, in the, uh, like I'll say, in, in the, the day, in, in 2014, as, as we continue to roll along, and I really made it an effort uh, because I didn't get the opportunity when I was still with TNA to really dive into the independent scene. And, and we, you know, I got, obviously, and it's, it's now uh, with, with some, some people uh, in the wrestling journalist world, we, 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 we both have tug-in-cheek and we chuckle at one another, and it's, it's all good and fun about the database that, that we created. But the database is for real, it's, and, it, and it really shows when you really, really drill it down, and, and we've got it divided up a couple of ways. You can slice and dice it in countries and different promotions, all that. But the depth of the independent scene, uh, it is it's unbelievable from where it was, I'll say, 10 years ago. And, and, and you can look at, uh, not that NXT is made up of independent wrestlers by any stretch, but when you look at the success of that brand, the standalone brand, and, and you know, the stars and how that's coming together uh, and all those opportunities that are given to, to, to those guys, well, it, it proves in my mind just over and over and over, there's so much room in the marketplace uh, for, for promotions to offer up something. You, you, know, you can't offer up the, the same type steak or the same type meal. You've you got to be a little different. But Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor, NXT, Global Force works. Yes, I'm very, very excited. And, and, and to give guys opportunity because the talent is there. 
They just need the stage. Absolutely. And speaking of talent, this weekend you're going to be going up against Pro Wrestling Syndicate, which is quite a big independent company up here in the Northeast. Can you talk about the shows coming up this weekend with um, GFW against PWS? Yeah, PWS. Uh, We were there, me and myself and Sanjay uh, and a couple other Global Force guys, but we were on the card at Pro Wrestling Syndicate, and that's when really the promotion jumped off. And and at the end of that night, uh, we'll call them the hometown team, the PWS local uh, fans were on their feet. They were really intense, and they were doing the chant, this is our house. But it it really showed that level of excitement that, okay, Global Force is coming in with Nick Aldis, a champion, Sanjay Dutt, the next-gen champion, uh, Brian Myers, who's been a part of our tapings, the Heavenly Bodies. Uh, we're, we're very excited to, to, you know, to go head up against the best from PWS, and it's just a really, really good mix, and it's a part of the vision that I've had from day one is that you take uh, global stars uh, uh, and, and you match them and, and all levels uh, of different, uh, you know, expo- the, the talent has the exposure uh, a guy like Dan Moff, who just needs an opportunity, but he's going to get the opportunity on Saturday night to go against Bobby Roode. That's 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 a match that most people of Pro Wrestling Syndicate, and, and, and I'll say most fans of Bobby Roode, thought that they would never see, but I can assure you it's going to be a hell of a match. Absolutely. Definitely looking forward to that. Now, do you enjoy coming up to the Northeast? Because it seems like, you know, obviously it's a big hotbed in wrestling, and it has been for quite some time. Do you enjoy your spending some time up here in the Northeast, especially with PWS? I've, I've always, you know, uh, again, uh, my first seven years of my career, uh, I spent it in, you know, uh, the seven-state area of my family's promotion, but then I traveled to Puerto Rico and, and, and traveled to Japan and, and Texas in the early years. But 93 is when I, I really started wrestling, uh, you know, for the WWF and, and, and the Northeast, and obviously the hub of the W at those days, the WWF. And so, yes, uh, the, the shorter answer is uh, I, I do love the, the Madison Square Garden. That 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 crowd is so identifiable with their passion. But you know, it it it, it just bleeds over into all the Northeast. I will say this: I, I certainly like to uh, get on that plane and head back home when the snow hits. So I, I've been caught a few <laughs> blizzards in my day. Uh, up in the Northeast, uh, a couple of times I got caught in Detroit. A couple of times I got caught in uh, Newark. So it's just part of it. But uh, I, I'm a Southern boy, so you guys can uh, you you can keep that snow. <laughs> I I definitely feel you on that one. Now with um, Global Force, obviously you guys are doing some touring and stuff. Can you just talk about the kind of the expansion? I know you guys obviously did some amp taping in Las Vegas, but you're planning on going to the UK. Yes, we got uh, shows there March 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Uh, uh, we're going to be doing our first show in London, which is obviously, you know, a major, major market, uh, you know, media market as well as a professional wrestling market. The, the entire United Kingdom uh, independent scene is red hot. Uh, but, you know, we're also, uh, London's obviously the biggest market there, but we're going into places, quite frankly, that WWE will not go. Two other towns, Exeter and Coventry, great venues, obviously, uh, a great wrestling fan base, and it's something, again, it, it's a step-by-step process of really creating brand awareness. That That is, uh, you know, I'm a strong believer in that. Uh, uh, our team is a strong believer in that. The things just don't happen overnight. That That's delusional thinking that you think you can start up a company. And, you know, even if you were to, 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 to get on uh, Fox Network, uh, it still takes time to create brand awareness, and you really got to build it. Uh, fan by fan, brick by brick, 
And so being a part of the U.K. scene uh, in April, we're going to be a part of the German wrestling scene. Uh, our partner over there, WXW, they, you know, they run 100 shows a year. Uh, and, and so maybe not that many, maybe 70 or 80, but, you know, it's a consistent, uh, really, really good promotion. Uh, their two biggest shows of the year, Oberhausen and Hamburg, are going to be taking place at the end of April. And then we're talking to other promotions in Italy and, and, and Scotland and, and, and a few others. So we're excited uh, just to continue that, that brand awareness and bring Global Force uh, and the vision and, 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 and how the execution uh, that, we, that we we have our shows with the VIP expand experiences and then, you know, very, very diverse with great bell-to-bell action. Now, obviously, you guys are building a global name and everything else. But within the U.S., I know you guys are actively looking for TV deals. When the TV deals start coming in and you guys are starting to, you know, focus more on that, will you start doing American pay-per-views and things of that nature? You know, uh, and and when you call it a TV deal, that's almost a passe because now it's a distribution model that obviously uh, a television uh, is part of that. But in the world of digital, you know, not just professional wrestling, any form of entertainment. I don't care if it's the show The Voice or if it's, you know, the NFL. The NFL is doing with Yahoo the, the deal they did streaming games. So it's really your distribution model. Uh, and so as we roll that out in 2016, that, that will be step one. Uh, the pay-per-view model, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say we're never going to do a pay-per-view. That's probably uh, not not accurate. But, but to say that's uh, a priority would be absolutely not true because uh, just look at the WWE. Um, that, the, the traditional pay-per-view model is dead. It, it's not dying. It's dead. When you can pay nine ninety nine a month uh, to the, obviously, the industry leader that has over 90% market share and, and all of their, quote-unquote, pay-per-views uh, are in the, uh, you know, the, the, the network model. So the traditional pay-per-view, but I think the second part of your statement was pay-per-views or big events. Yes, big events. We definitely have those things in the works in a big kind of way. Now, what do you think about the network model? Because obviously you're somebody who was so at the forefront of that weekly pay-per-view model with TNA back in 2002. But what do you think about how a company can succeed off of something so specialty-based like, you know, a web presence and iPay-per-view and things like, uh, you know, pertaining to those exclusive run shows? It's it, the, the the network is is uh, you talk about a visionary. It's it's you know it's and, and when you, you have a professional wrestling organization that has a top five uh, OTT service in the world, that speaks volumes about our industry. You know, and and, and the good thing, and you can look on Wall Street that you know there's a lot of upside to to a professional wrestling uh, model because there are no seasons. You know, when the NFL goes dark or Major League Baseball goes dark, their season's over. The, the sense of urgency or, or, or demand for, for, for programming drops. Well, with the WWE, and, and, and you look at the success of the NXT brand launched solely off the network, uh, I'll say solely because there are obviously USA mentions, and, but, you know, it's the WWE brand, but as far as consistent programming, it, it's, it, it's online. So it, it just shows you the power of online and that if you don't have an enormous component uh, uh, digitally, uh, when launching a brand, uh, you, you are, you know, you're basically way behind the curve and, and, and almost shooting in the dark. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud to, to, to really look at the WWE Network and how successful it's becoming, and, and it's a growth. You know, uh, I think Wall Street beat them up pretty good 
a year or so ago because they didn't meet expectations. But as it grows and people can see the vision and the consistency, and as it grows and the quality of programming that continues to be put out, it, 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 it's great for our industry. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about visionaries, and I'm sorry, but you can't mention visionaries in professional wrestling without mentioning yourself, Jeff Jarrett, because you've done so much to build two organizations from the ground up. You watched a territory grow as you grew in the professional wrestling industry, but as you see the young talent and as you see the next generation of stars, people who now get into the business might only remember you from seeing you with TNA Wrestling. How do you play the mentor role to a young talent just getting into the business? Well, but, you know, any quick words of advice are learn your basic, learn your fundamentals. You know, the old saying, wise man built his house upon a rock. If you really have a, a foundation that is rock steady, that you, you, you know the basics of, of, of a match and, and, and how it is uh, to, to go, and, and if you study, uh, you know, be a student of the game, uh, that, that, that will pay dividends. But the, the, the other thing that I tell guys getting in this business if there are the opportunities that you have that you have a hundred percent control of didn't exist when I broke in. They just quite frankly didn't exist. You know, back in the day and, and even through the nineties, you wanted to get on T V, Nitro or Raw, and then you'd have, you know, four to six to eight to twelve to fifteen minutes to to control your uh destiny as far as connecting with the audience. Nowadays with social media Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, your own website. You can control all of that, and you can create your fan base. It's how hard you want to work, how much you want to connect to your audience. And, again, once you get exposed to uh, an audience, uh, a new audience member, you better know your trade, your craft, and and, and really know what you're doing uh, to to keep them engaged and keep them coming back. So that is a huge upside. I don't think guys getting into this business truly realize how much they can control their destiny uh, from the very beginning. I know in the music business, I'm from Nashville and around the music business quite quite a bit. It's been a game changer. There there, there are there are you know industry leaders who have been on labels uh, that that have uh, discarded the labels and, and launched their own music online, whether it's YouTube or Vivo or, or whatever it may be. Uh, same with wrestling. Uh, you can control your destiny, and if, and if guys want to make a real surge in this business, don't realize that they're putting themselves uh, again behind the eight ball when they don't have to. Now, as we start to hit the wind down here, because I know you got a very, very busy weekend coming up, but I have to ask because you're such a legend in the, in the business and you've had so many good matches everywhere. Do you have a favorite match, or maybe a couple matches? that you can really, you know, think about when you look back at your career and just really sit back and just smile at? Uh, not, not really. I don't ever like to really look in the rearview mirror. Uh, but, but you know, when I am asked that question, I don't really – obviously I do remember particular matches, but I, I more than that I remember feuds or series of matches. Back in the early day, me and Jerry Lawler against the Moondog, it was hardcore before hardcore was all, hard, called hardcore. Yeah, they were some brutal matches. Uh that, and then when I went to the WWF series of matches with, with Scott Hall and Shawn Michaels and tag matches with, you know, me, me and Shawn against uh, Scott and Kevin, and, and Road Dogg came onto the scene, and then as you move through, you know, the WCW winning the world title and Flair and Sting and Luger and Diamond Dallas Page and Steiner and Goldberg and, and just that area of, of uh, era of, of, you know, 
it was it was pretty cool time. Uh, and then you get into the TNA days, and the early days uh, are obviously some of my fondest memories. The AJ Styles, and, you know, taking a kid from North Georgia and giving him an opportunity, and, and he took the ball and ran with it. His talent to this day, you know, uh, speaks for itself. And, and then, you know, uh, at a very late stage of my career, I had a series of matches against Kurt Angle uh, that, that I'm very proud of, that, that were some of the best of my career, and at, at the stage of my career, uh, I, I know that I was pushed to a limit and pushed through it. So uh, the, the series of matches is what I like to look back on. Definitely a storied career, which was unbelievable. But you just mentioned AJ Styles, so i got to ask, you know, with the rumors of him going to WWE and, and New Japan kind of losing him, Nakamura, and slowly several members of the Bullet Club, what is your relationship currently with New Japan? Are you still in the Bullet Club, and will you guys do a deal with Global Force? Where you know, with the, the the shorter answer is great relationship with New Japan. Uh, I'm, I'm called the office of Bullet Club uh, during that run, uh, which was totally unexpected. It, it more or less uh, somewhat came out of the blue. Uh, I was honored to be in, in that. Uh, I, I wore a suit to the building, and, and uh, the guys joked that Bullet Club guys shouldn't wear a suit. Well, I said, well, I'm a promoter uh, as well as an office Bullet Club member. Uh, but, no, we're, we're excited. Uh, New Japan <laughs> Just an incredibly well-run organization with, obviously, fantastic talent. It it goes without saying that I went on record uh, when I got back from Russell Kingdom 9 and and, and couldn't say enough good things about the aura that Nakamura carries to the ring. He's he's, he's, he's dynamic. He he is such a unique talent. And, and you know, it's definitely no secret my thoughts on AJ Styles, and and I couldn't be more happy for the guy uh, for him to get this opportunity. It's so awesome. Two amazing performers, and of course, we remember AJ Styles all the way back from his early days of TNA Wrestling. And Jeff, we thank you so much for coming on with us. It's been amazing. We didn't even get a chance to hit one of our favorite topics, and that's Double J MMA, but that we'll save for another day and another time. But we want to remind everybody, Global Force Wrestling is coming to the Mid-Hudson Civic Center Friday, January 22nd, and Saturday, January 23rd at the Rahway Rec Center in Rahway, New Jersey. Visit GlobalForceWrestling.com for more information on that. And, Mr. Jared, if you don't mind, please tell the fans where they can find everything in the world of the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and by the way, when you ever do mention the Double J MMA character, always you need to throw in the, the, the byline is, is that I retired undefeated. So you can't really <laughs> say one without the other. Uh, but, no, you can find me on Twitter at, at Real Jeff Jarrett, real simple, at Real Jeff Jarrett. And then all of our social media platforms, they are at GFW Wrestling. It's at GFW Wrestling, and then our website, GlobalForceWrestling.com. Uh, guys, I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, always a good time here on the two-man trip. That's right. Well, thank, thank you. you so much, Jeff. All the best with the shows. Really hope nothing but, you know, just prosperous and an amazing time. But thank you. Uh, thank you so much. We'd love the to talk to you. The chosen one. Jarrett, short and sweet, but Jeff Jarrett will be back for an in-depth interview, and we would love to dive deep, deep, 
deep into his illustrious and storied career. But speaking of, a nice little storied career thus far is the surprisingly very young still TJ Perkins, who spent 17 years in the professional wrestling industry. And that is crazy to think he's done so much in so little time. And obviously his departure from TNA wrestling over the last couple of weeks has been a hot button issue. And he's here today to discuss it in such great detail. And John, he joins a long list of guys who do have their gripes about TNA, but not necessarily everything that TJ Perkins has to say is going to be negative and not necessarily everything he's going to say is going to be meant to be a detriment towards TNA. It's just more of a kind of head scratching, you know, the usual, hey, this is what TNA could have done. This is what they should have done. But talk about TJ Perkins and talk about not only does he have more to go from here, but he sure did a hell of a lot while he was with TNA. You know that we're going to dig deep into a company that's been uh, talked about a lot and not always in a positive way, and that is TNA Wrestling. And obviously, we're talking about our guest today, TJP, a.k.a. TJ Perkins, formerly known as Manic. Now, with Manic, obviously, everyone knows that he just got released from TNA Wrestling, and this is one of his first interviews after the release. So, I mean, we delve deep. We we're digging very, very deep into TNA, and we go into everything. I mean, we talk Dixie, we talk Big John Kaborik, we talk the writing staff, we talk about how he's losing the mask and putting the mask back on and losing the mask, and the psychology around that and the thought process around that. So that is just some great stuff there. But, you know, of course, we talk about uh, the rumored money issues with TNA. Any gripes that he might have with TNA? Is he bitter? Would you be surprised? He's not quite so bitter, and you'll hear why. But it's just great because we really, I mean, we really do a deep dive into TNA wrestling. And it's great to get that behind-the-scenes look because we've had other guys that were gone from TNA. We've had on Matt Morgan, Hernandez, Gunner, Sam Shaw. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and obviously, you know, there were some complaints about TNA wrestling. He did say there were some bright spots, and we do get into that as well. So it's not all negative because, to be honest, he's a very positive guy. And obviously, you can be that positive. Because you know, you know you're going to have a bright future away from TNA because you're such a damn good wrestler. And obviously, like he talks about, he'll be wrestling for Evolve coming up very, very soon. So it's great that he's be able to wrestle in all those leagues. But in another sense, you have a feeling that he should still be in TNA. He should still be getting a good push and that they should listen to some of his ideas. Because some of the most intriguing parts of this interview is him talking about some ideas he gave to TNA Creative. And they gave those ideas to somebody else. So, blatant, you know, they blatantly stole the idea from him and gave it to Spud or, or whoever else. But really, really listen to those stories. Those are just utterly amazing. And talking TNA wrestling with a recently released TNA superstar that shouldn't have been released at all is always very, very intriguing. Oh, yeah, he's a thousand percent intriguing. I totally agree with that. And he's a guy who has wrestled everywhere at such a young age. And you think about, you know, his time with New Japan Pro Wrestling and the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo. And you think about some of the things that he's done there. And, you know, like we keep beating at home, he's got so much more to offer. And now that he's free of TNA Wrestling, he's able to possibly get back to his roots and get back to New Japan. Yeah, you know what? He You're right. He's literally wrestled everywhere when i was doing you know the research and stuff i mean you, you just go off the top of your head and like i know he wrestled here i know he wrestled there but you just think about it like holy crap after you write it all day and you're like damn he has wrestled 
everywhere. And some of the stops are just great. Obviously, you know, you know, he wrestled for WWE a little bit. He wrestled, obviously, for TNA, like we've, we've talked about, and like everybody knows. But then, you know, Evolve, Dragon Gate USA, every million leagues all around the world. And then you look at it, you're like, wow, AAA, CMLL. And then, boom, New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's where, you know, he kind of got... Not his start, per se, but kind of got his first big break, and that was just amazing that they started the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo in Los Angeles, and he's there with Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes, and we get some great stories about that. And then when Brian Danielson comes aboard, just love hearing about that. And then, of course, Antonio Inoki is there. So I just love talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling, and one of the best parts that we get to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling is how much the Japanese loved him and kind of said he was much like Sayama, a.k.a. the first Tiger Mask. So I love getting into that, and I love getting into his relationship with not only Jushin Thunder Liger, but also with Tiger Mask 4, the current Tiger Mask. So this guy is just an amazing wrestler, an amazing talent, an amazing athlete, but you couple that all in with the fact that he's working with the biggest and best in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's been in the Super Juniors Tournament. He's being compared to some of the other all-time greats in New Japan Pro Wrestling, some of the Gaijins. So I just absolutely love the part about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Obviously, you know, the TNA stuff was, was a big part of the interview, and that's what people are going to want to hear. But stay tuned for the New Japan stuff, because that stuff is some of the best stuff in the interview. And John, with all the topics covered, and obviously the New Japan topic was very, very cool. And this is an interview. This is a prime time only uh, exclusive here. But you know, you're able to co- cover New Japan. You're able to talk about the TNA stuff very, very much in depth. But is there something else that really stands out to you as maybe one of the more intriguing parts of the interview, and something that you know I, I hope you, you're going where I think you're going, but something that crazy enough we uh, I forgot to be honest with you, that uh, he was a part of. Um, but yeah, what would you say the most intriguing part of the interview was from your perspective? You know, speaking of like favorite part of the interview or maybe most intriguing part of the interview, obviously, I mean, the TNA stuff is great. And like I said, I love the New Japan stuff. But almost um, two sides of the coin here. One is like the funny side and one is the very sad crazy side and I'll just do the sad crazy side first but we get into the match with Rey Mysterio himself uh, Tigre Uno and Pero Aguayo that happened where uh, Pero eventually uh, ended up losing his life and how crazy of a moment that it is and, and what it was you know what it was like being in the ring with that because that's just one of those things you just don't forget and, and just you know I, I almost didn't want to bring it up but it's one of those things you have to bring up because it was in the news everywhere it was anywhere you look you saw it you just, you know, you could not ask him about it. So, I mean, I felt like I had to ask him about it, but it was just one of those crazy, crazy stories, much like the Owen Hart story, which you just, or the Misawa story. You just can't believe that that happened. And, and like you said, I mean, things like that do happen. You just hopefully, you know, it's hopeful it's not you, and you just hopefully you're not around for it. But, you know, we dig deep into it and we get into that story as well. But on the lighter side of things, one of the things that I found very funny and he told a great story about it was uh, and he kind of put a positive spin on it, which is kind of great by him. You got to be able to look at it positively. But we talked about how he was in the TNA X Cup and not only was he Japanese, but he was Mexican and he was on Team Mexico and he's on T- uh, Team Japan. He's playing the characters for the TNA X Cup, obviously two different years. But the funny part is he's not Japanese and he's not Mexican. So uh, it, it, like that part was just so funny and, and just, you know, a little bit of a lighter story there, but just so funny 
that you know we we got to talk about that and we got to talk about some tna mishaps and some some jokey stuff but overall this is a very very fun interview and it's great to get him on and you know we wish him a lot of luck in the future but i don't know if we need to because uh, i think bright things are ahead for him and like we kind of tease at the end uh it's possible he may be going back to new japan pro wrestling hey you never know we'll see you never know and that's what you got to love about the pro wrestling business. You never know what's going to happen next. Anything can happen, as the old adage has been said in professional wrestling. But what a power pack show it was. We want to thank Jeff Jarrett, who came on earlier. And we want to thank TJ Perkins, a.k.a. Manic, a.k.a. Suicide, with a bright future ahead of him. And the, the future is limitless for the man formerly known as Manic. And, John, before we get it over to the Manic interview, the T.J. Perkins exclusive, why don't we tell them a little bit about the big event on February 6th at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. You're going to get two, two, that's right, two huge former WWE superstars, one of them being Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, the other one being an ECW original and ECW heavyweight champion, the franchise Shane Douglas. They're going to be live at Collector's World Saturday, February 6th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can visit collectorsworld.com, excuse me, collectorsworldva.com for more information on that fabulous event. And head on out, get a picture, get an autograph, get a high five, come see the two-man power trip of wrestling. You're going to hear from Kevin Thorne in just a couple days regarding the big event here in Virginia on February 6th. And John, with that being said, why don't you hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and wrap this bad boy up and send it over to TJ Perkins. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them, and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there, and please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs, because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan the Larry Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan. Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. For all that booking information on the big man and while you're at it, 
Go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts. And you too can be a member of the Bike Club. And now, without any further ado, the former TNA X Division champion and man who's wrestled everywhere around the globe... A 17-year veteran of the wrestling business. You may know him as Suicide, Manic, or maybe TJP, Puma, or Pino Boy. But we know him as TJ Perkins. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line today is a former TNA X Division champion. He's a man who's wrestled all around the globe, Mexico, Japan, all across the United States, you name it. You may know him as Manic. We know him as TJP, a.k.a. TJ Perkins. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. I I don't know if my cough is going to be at the beginning of that intro, but... uh... <laughs> oh, I, it, that's uh, I personalized it for you. So nice, perfect. That is great. <laughs> now, uh, obviously, you know, you got to do some maintenance here. Get get some things out of the way because I definitely want to talk about uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and, and the dojo over there in LA. But first and foremost, just want to talk about recent events going on, and that was the release from TNA Wrestling. Was it a release or was the contract up? What is the real story behind all of that? Um, it, uh, basically my contract had, uh, come up and, uh, there was a, I believe a, a company option, like a team option. I was basically, I was coming up as like a restricted free agent in like sports terms. And, uh, so the company had a, uh, an option to retain me for another year. Um, and I don't know if, because I, I'm, I'm sure they're probably restructuring a lot of their contracts because of the pop TV stuff. And, uh, so I don't, I don't know if maybe that was part of it. Like I wouldn't have kept the old deal anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, it came up for renewal and they just said that they won't be renewing it. And, and that was it. So. Were you surprised at all by that? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I wasn't like, not like I was expecting it or anything, but I'm not that shocked. I, I have a tendency to kind of not really hold expectations, or anything. I just kind of see it like, you know, changes are changes, and sometimes stuff like this comes up. Now, with TNA, obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of rumors and speculation and, and all this other stuff about them either being cheap or people not being paid on time. Do you ever have any of those issues where, you know, the money wasn't quite there when they were saying it was going to be there? Was there anything that you outright just didn't get paid for? No, no. Um, and people have asked me that uh a few times and um um and I mean I never been, nothing like that ever came up for me really and uh you know other than normal stuff for some of the guys like uh um I guess it, it, I mean if you work anywhere where you don't pick up like your paycheck like at work um like normal jobs like a typical job you might just pick it up at work at the office or like you know at the store, whatever you do for a living, you know, um, in, in a lot of ones where you have like a direct deposit or like, uh, 
or you're like mailed it because you don't work in the state that you live in or something like that. You know, every now and then, like you might have one that gets lost in the mail or has to be reissued or something like that. So sometimes stuff like that would come up. But I mean, to my recollection, the last few years, maybe like once or twice that's happened and it was always something normal, not like an actual problem. Um, as far as other parts of the company go, I don't know because, um, I mean, I think people forget that this company has like, you know, hundreds of people involved in it. Like, so there's people in production, people in the office, people, you know, in Nashville and different places that work for the company that I probably have never even met. And so, you know, maybe some of them had in different departments had, uh, you know, issues or something like that, but you know, nothing on like, like the locker room end. Now, as far as the locker room, that's another like, rumor or, you know, maybe misconception. I don't you know, maybe you'll tell us the difference, but there was a lot of morale issues with TNA. Did you experience that when you were there? Was everybody kind of down in the dumps expecting them to be closing or was everybody kind of in high spirits expecting them to turn the corner? Uh, no, no. And that, there was never anything like that um, as far as people being, uh, you know, pessimistic, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. Um, and, and I don't know, it, it's kind of a side note, but, uh, I feel like people, and it's, I think it's a generational thing. Um, I think we have a tendency as people to look at things very black or white, like you're one side or the other. And once you've chosen that, um, your mind can't be changed and you'll like live and die by the sword on the side that you chose. So I feel like, you know, questions like these like have been asked in the past for me. And then I think people would think or you know, people actually would say, like, you know, maybe, you know, we'll ask them again someday, like later. And, you know, it'll, it'll change. But like, I don't say things out of loyalty. I say things because it's just the truth, because the truth is nothing is really black or white. You know, it's just reality is gray. So um, I think people want those things to have been issues. And I think maybe for a few people, it could have been issues. But generally speaking, the same thing I said, you know, the last two, three years is still the same thing. I mean, there's, you know, uh, money was always good for me and the people around me. And people always seemed genu genuinely happy and, and uh, you know, had fun going to work. And, you know, there was never really anything like that. I think at times maybe uh, management could be a little bit prideful in the way they make decisions. So it might affect efficiency or, you know, some of the rational decision-making. But, you know, generally speaking, no, I mean, there was never really any problems like that. Yeah, you always hear the rumors, but mostly from fans or maybe some, you know, internet speculation that, uh, oh, TNA's closing. Even in 2002 when they first started, oh, they're closing. Any day now they're closing. And, you know, it's 2016 now and, they're still going, and now they're on a brand new network. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, I feel like, um, you know, our this generation now, like, everything's become a comparison, and uh, people kind of draw battle lines a lot more than they used to. So, I mean, it's uh, – and we kind of live in a revisionist world. So, you know, no matter what, like, there's always going to be, like, an undying other side to it. And – uh you know, but I mean, as far as my experiences, I mean, there was never, there was never anything like that. I mean, we were never obviously comfortable with like, you know, network changes and things like that. I don't think anybody would. 
Um, but I mean, I don't really feel like everybody thought that things were dire or anything. We just went to work and we were optimistic about it. It seemed like everybody had fun. And a lot of the thing is, um, I think people maybe don't, I think people on the outside looking in don't understand. I think that we don't really take it that seriously. Like, you know, Hmm. even if things were like worst case scenario, we leave spike TV, find no home and we never work for TNA again. Like we, most of us really wouldn't care that much because we would just go on and, you know, take our career elsewhere and do different things. And, you know, new opportunities open up. I mean, seeing as how we, all of us collectively got to TNA, like, obviously that was a door that probably opened up that we didn't see coming and we chose that opportunity. I know I did. So, I mean, if a change had come up at that point, it's not like I think, because I think a lot of people, they debate with each other on the outside and it becomes like a war. Like I got to beat this guy in this debate and I have to, my points have to be better than his, but like us on the actual like battlefield playing this game, (laughs) like we don't, it's never really been that way with us. So, yeah, fans uh, are definitely uh, becoming stranger and stranger in the wrestling business. I, you know, I, I have <laughs> well, to say. I mean, it, it, it's, it's good that, that people are passionate, you know, and and I think in terms of the fact that we're entertainment and it's a business, like, we can use that and we can help create things for them because they're so passionate. It's just, it's difficult because I think it's hard. I think it's hard for people on the outside to accept that they can't be on the inside. Like we're doing our best to cater towards their passion, but at the same time, they have to understand that we kind of have to, I don't want to say use it against them, but it, it's going to play a role in how we do business. And that's just, we're always going to be on opposite sides of the line. So it kind of sucks. Definitely true. And with TNA, <laughs> there's always some sort of controversy, you know, with them one way or another. For a while, it was like the Destination America controversy. Will they pick them up? Will they not? The whole thing with Destination America, I thought, I don't know if you thought the same thing, was it wasn't really a fit for wrestling. They're kind of a, a, a niche channel as far as, like, uh, spook stories and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I always really felt like it was sort of an odd fit. Um, it was kind of uh, ironic or, you know, I guess coincidental, but... I was actually a fan of all the shows before we moved there. Uh, I remember hearing that we were moving and that, that, you know, they were a candidate and eventually we did move there. And, um, and I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the branding of the channel as far as the name and then the content associated with it. So I just knew we were going there. And then when I found out how their programming lineup was, I was like, man, I watched all these shows. I actually really like this channel. I remember, uh, Tyrus and I, we would joke that we wanted to try to parlay it into like becoming um, reenactment actors on some of the shows because we really <laughs> like, we genuinely like the shows, you know, they were, they were entertaining. I, it's funny. Like, I guess we're like, you know, well, I, it doesn't matter to me now because I'm not part of the team anymore, but I guess it's like, well, we're supposed to not like Destination America, but it's like, I love watching those shows still. So, <laughs> In TNA, you know, there was always the controversy as far as you is are concerned with the mask. Did you want the mask on or did it off? And then it kind of created its own monster, you know, in of itself. Did you want the mask on or did you, would you rather wrestle with the mask off? Um, you know, honestly, like, and I, I, I guess it's, it'll never, 
I mean, unless I was on like, unless I came on after the like State of the Union address, I don't think I would ever reach enough people that they, everybody would get it. Um, but <laughs> like I've I've said it a lot of times, you know, people like I said, you know, people make up their minds and then they create their own narratives about it. But like, I mean, I never really, uh, I never cared if I was in a mask or not or playing a character or not. I mean, I volunteered to play the role in the first place. They didn't call me and ask me to be suicide. Um, I came in at a time when they didn't have a lot of focus on the X Division because I was getting out of a Ring of Honor contract. So when I came in, it was like, great, I did some live events and then some um, some dark matches and stuff, but then there wasn't really anything for me to do. Uh, I volunteered to be suicide when I saw, like, the first commercials and stuff. They didn't have an idea for it, and they were only probably going to have it for one day as far as what Dixie had told me. So, you know, I volunteered and then created, you know, a life for that character. And, you know, I didn't really – it was never, like, a thing even recently where I needed to be me or wanted to be out of it. I just um, – as far as that goes, my only motivation was that there was a time when, you know, I took over a character that was largely considered a joke, I think, to fans. Like, nobody really cared about Suicide. It was a joke. It was a flop. Um, they cared about it when I initially took it over, and they thought, okay, well, maybe this is the way it was supposed to have been all along. The right guy is finally playing, portraying the character. And then they changed the name, and they took the mask off, and then it started to lose meaning. So they put the mask back on, and then you can't – you can only kind of have those false starts so many times before fans start to lose faith in the performer, even though it's not – in our hands as the performer, fans, they don't understand that. And they're not meant to, you know, fans aren't supposed to be in on it. Like some, some of them are, and they kind of find a way to be smarter than others. But like genuine, generally speaking, the performers left holding the bag. So I sort of felt like this was the second time around now with, with uh, James and the group. And I, you know, there's this really great moment that, that we created where I took the mask off again and people are, People know who I am, you know, at this point. I think, like, wrestling fans, um, you know, other than casual fans, I think they know who I am and know who I am under the mask or whatever. So, you know, they there was kind of this moment, I think, where it was like, okay, great, we're going we're gonna to have this, and this is what we've been asking for. And then they wanted me to put the mask on again. And so it wasn't so much I didn't want to do the character anymore, but it's like someday I may not be working here anymore. Or if I am, I want to be the, you know, like a, a valuable commodity in the future. And if you keep doing this, then it's going to kill my good faith with people. Like the fans won't respect me very much. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like that yes. people start to lose their interest in a performer because they don't know, like they just know all this stuff is tied to the performer. They don't know where it comes from. So I just felt like before you guys <laughs> destroy my ability to be interesting and to be valuable, like, you know, I think we should find one path and stick to it. And so I just feel like that part wasn't reciprocated. So, you know, I, I never really had an issue. I, I mean, I've had like 12 different masks, uh, mask characters in my 17 year career. So it's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not like hmm. I have a problem, like, 
you know, not being myself or anything. I love portraying characters. I look at my wrestling career, I think, probably the same way that Johnny Depp looks at his movie career. Like, I don't really take any of it too seriously, and I love doing very diverse characters, you know. Um, So, you know, it was never an issue with that. I just didn't want my goodwill and good faith with the fans to start getting killed because, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. It's, I'm getting older and, you know, the the later it gets, then, you know, I don't want my ability to do this to be hindered going forward. Right. And it was a very, very good point you made there with the, the, the flipping and the flopping, you know, the start and stop booking, if you will, with the mask. Who was actually, like, booking it that way? Was it two different writers at different points that they decided to go with it, or was it the same? Was it Big John or something that said, Oh, let's go back to this well one more time. Well, um, I mean, originally back back at a time when we were like, it was suicide, then it became manic, and then they took the mask off. Um, that came up as part, I mean, that was sort of a byproduct of the storyline with Austin Aries. So we did that, and, um, you know, I, I, I remember at the time, uh, Hogan was really in huge favor of me keeping the mask. He he always he didn't want me to take it off. He thought it was it was a, a great um, it was a great chance to uh, to invest in a character, and he thought it was good. And you know, we would talk about old school like mask characters and stuff. And you know, I'm you know a, sort of a wrestling historian and a big student myself, so you know I could talk with a guy from his generation. We would be able to talk about old stuff, and uh, you know, he was in favor of that. Some of the producers liked the idea of like the whole Tony Stark type of thing where, you know, the mat, like people obviously knew it was me under the mask. And then when we did the reveal with the episode with Austin Aries, um, where I came out on TV as myself, it was, it was obviously very transparent that, you know, I'm TJ, but, um, so a lot of the producers were sort of forward thinking and I felt the same way that a Tony Starkish type of thing where, the mask isn't necessarily meant for mystery. It's just, you know, part of the gear. It's part of the battle armor. It's just part of the thing, you know, like Captain America. Everybody knows it's Steve Rogers. America knows that Steve Rogers is Captain America. It's not a mystery, but so it was kind of like that. And I thought it was a good time to do it because we were parlaying off of, you know, actual, you know, characters and movies that were, you know, popular, you know, at the time and still are now. Um, so at that time it was sort of a committee, but you know, now it's a totally different writing team. So I think recently it was really more down to uh probably probably John, I think. Um we had a meeting at Bound for Glory, he and I, about it uh recently. That was the last event that I did. And um he was definitely hands on with, you know, his reasoning and uh why he wanted to or what he wanted to do, but he didn't really have any good reasons why. Hmm. Seems like if you're you know, a writer or you're in charge or something, you should always have a reason why for everything because then the <laughs> performer, you know, might not be into it. You know what I mean? It it kind of uh, deflates you a little bit, no? Well, I think the thing that was sort of uh I the thing that was sort of discouraging about it, and this is kind of what I noticed when I especially when I talked to him that day, is that um he didn't have any reasons why to put the mask back on or to keep doing it. He just had a million reasons why not to do anything else. Hmm. So, which I think is odd. Like as a decision maker, I think that's odd. You know, like I feel like that makes that to me, that says you're indecisive 
and that perhaps we're talking about something that is not of priority to you, which is fine with me. Like I've never been a priority to a lot of people, so that's not hmm. a problem. I could make something out of nothing. I just thought, you know, we needed to maybe think smartly about it. Cause I mean, I, I would, uh, you know, explain to them, people aren't going to like this. This is the second time you've done it. And this time they're really expecting me to lose the mask. And I finally did and they enjoy it and they're happy. Um, they're not going to like you having me put it back on because he wanted me to put it back on and down for glory. And even after the taped episode aired, he wanted me to keep having it. Cause I think people thought like I was trying to say, let me take it off, but they couldn't do anything about it. Cause they had like months of taped footage, but that's not the case. Like if I were still in the company today, I would still be wearing the mask inexplicably. That's what I wanted to avoid because I think it's killing the goodwill of the fans. So I, you know, I told them, you know, Vance, people aren't going to like this. And, you know, in, in so many words, he basically said, I, I don't believe you. I disagree. I don't think people will care at all. And I, I think of all of their social media stuff, probably the most vocal section was people that were reacting exactly as I said. And I just thought, you know, we can use this. And they didn't want to. So, hmm. It definitely was like a hot-button issue with the fans because it was definitely big hit time on social media and stuff. But one thing that kind of alarmed me was when Josh Matthews was kind of getting involved and, and kind of saying stuff on Twitter. Was that a work, or was he legitimately, like, you know, having a beef with you? Uh, no, that was legitimate. I mean, uh, he even texted me after that first exchange. I think he kind of knew he fucked up from, like, a – Sorry for lack of a better, for lack of better words, <laughs> I apologize. But I think he knew he kind of made a bad move from a PR standpoint because, like, he he probably spoke without thinking how that's going to play out. And I tried to respond in such a way that kept it positive um, and tried to kind of curtail everything. And kind of the whole my whole if 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 there was any frustration or anything that was discouraging before I left is that I was doing everything I could to professionally work for everyone. And it seemed like everybody was taking things personally and unprofessionally. Like, um, uh, so like he would say something like that and I would find a good way to respond that doesn't paint the company or him or anybody in a bad light but also keeps the focus on positive things for the fans and the support they're giving, you know, which is, it's hard to do. It's so, like PR is such a landmine because it's constantly changing with how the world changes, you know? So, you know, I would, I would do this at every step and then get something back from, you know, either quietly from the office or from, you know, in this case with, with Josh. And I'm like, God, but you guys got to, <laughs> you got to work with me here. Like I'm trying not to let you guys look bad but you're making yourselves look bad. Like, I don't know how to help that. Hmm. Um, but he, I mean, he even texted me afterward um, and said, you know, a lot more along the same lines of that stuff. And he calmed down a little bit, but I, you know, you could kind of tell he was legitimately a little bit upset and perturbed. I think he was upset that he was kind of left holding the bag on commentary because um, John and, and uh, the writing team didn't think people cared enough about me to to be vocal about it. And I told them they probably would. So in advance, I said, before any of that happens, when it does, let's 
you create something from it, you know? Mm-hmm. You guys can bury me on purpose, like make it something good and you could pay it off later. I know you have to use canned footage of me in the mask, but we can create something from that. And they said, no, we don't think that that's a good idea. And they didn't, they thought that uh, if they were to kind of turn it into a story, it would be like a black eye for the company. Like it would look bad. And I was like, you guys get bad press every day. This is at least something that you guys can <laughs> like, no, I mean, that's just the way it is. Like every day, like we would take our daily L from something. And I'm like, this is at least something you can control. People will get a payoff in the end. And, you know, they said no, and they didn't think people would care anyway. It turns out they did. Um, one of the things Josh had said to me in the text after the uh, Twitter exchange is that people aren't going to, even though people are talking now, they're not going to care in a few months. And I think it's people care more now than they did then. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just, uh, it it was just a little frustrating, I guess, because, you know, I did my best to um, get everybody, as far as people, like fans and the support, on the same page as far as I don't want to leave. The company is not bad. I want to give you what you want. And I'm trying to do that. And everybody was in support of that. I no fans were asking me to quit or leave. They weren't saying, like, you know, FTNA, you should go to NXT or something like that. They genuinely wanted me to stay. And it's like, I mean, it's like people asking Coca-Cola for more Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola saying no. <laughs> <laughs> like, they they own a commodity that they could give people and people are asking for it and they refuse to do it. I You can't help that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's nothing kind of you could do. It's kind of on them at that point. And obviously, you know, they were using a lot of canned footage, and he did have to kind of make an excuse of, of why you were in the mess, you know, like on commentary and stuff. But did you like that they were using all that canned footage for the world title series and that it was all taped, you know, months in advance, weeks in advance? You know, I don't mind that we used um, stuff that was kind of stockpiled. What I don't like is that they kept us in the dark about it. Because we taped a bunch of matches and they just had us do it like as if they're arbitrary singles matches. So most of us thought that they were explosion or like international pay-per-view type things. We had no idea what it was for and it was never explained to us. And I don't know if they knew that either. So I remember telling John when we met at Bound for Glory, like, because I had asked him like, uh, like two weeks before that. Uh, Impact had aired the episode where I took my mask off. So then I, I asked for a meeting with John because I wanted to know, well, Bound for Glory is going to be a live event. So what do you want me to do? Like, do you need, do you want me to wear the mask? Do you want me to bring a certain out? Like, how do you want me to do this? Because we're working off of both taped footage, but we're going to sprinkle in one live event in between. So how do we play this off? And uh, I was told he didn't have time. I said, I just want 30 seconds on the phone. And he's like, no, we'll do, his secretary just said, well, he'll just talk to you about for glory. So I said, well, that's kind of, that's a little late. Like I, I will be there and not really know what I'm doing. What if I need to get new stuff made, a new mask or something? Um, so it's funny because I, I legitimately was supposed to wear the mask at the pay-per-view, but I didn't have it because I thought, I mean, it's like if Kane unmasks on SmackDown, you literally would not think the next thing he's going to do is put it back on on Raw. Like, <laughs> right. You know. Right. You know what I mean. So, so I brought, and I wasn't even going to bring my suit either. I was going to bring my regular TJ stuff, um, which we had taped uh, a match in me in that stuff 
as part of that big bulk of taping. So I thought, okay, this is going to be the transition. So, and he was legitimately upset that I couldn't read his mind. I'm like, I caught, I asked, <laughs> I've been asking all week long just for you to tell me and you didn't want to meet. So um, I didn't mind, you know, the fact that we had stuff stockpiled. I just kind of thought that uh, they should be a little bit more forthcoming with, with the team, you know, to let them know. Well, because if I would have known, I would have said, can we not do the unmasking? Cause it's going to be weird. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. going to kill it. So yep. I would have volunteered to stay in the mask if, if they wouldn't keep it a mystery. And, you know, they do stuff like that. Cause you know, they'll tell us, well, if, you know, if, if you guys know what's going on, you're going to run and tell Twitter and stuff like that. But honestly, it's the writing. T- they do that to each other. Like they leave their own meetings leak all their stuff and then blame us for it. We don't really care. We just want to do our matches and go back to our families, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yep. I, I, just, I just don't see why it has to be so weird. It's like, it's odd in that way. So, you know, in this case, I think like with Josh, I think he was upset because he had, he was left holding the bag on commentary because um, they didn't want to go with the story that they're making me put the mask back on. So they tried to make up a story that they had, you know, Josh say on commentary about that I had like, like a personality disorder and like identity crisis and stuff, which John had actually asked me about that at Bound for Glory. And I told him I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, I'm not uncomfortable with a lot of stuff, but in this case, I didn't want to do that because I have a family member on my dad's side that has serious problems that legitimately are like that. So I didn't want to be portrayed as that on television, you know, like I don't want to have to explain that to my family. Right. So, you know, I told him I, I don't like that. He said, okay, we'll find something else. And then, like, literally hours later, um, some family and friends called me <laughs> after the paper. And they're like, did you know that they're saying you have a personality disorder on, on TV? And I'm like, oh, he had to be kidding me. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Were you um, pissed? Not upset. Like, I, it's kind of expected because that's just sort of what happens, like, at this level, I guess. Um. But, you know, that's why I made a point to explain to people, look, I, I'm not comfortable that I don't have a problem like that. I don't want to wear the mask, but it's not up to me. So I think Josh was upset because the company's making him say this stuff, and I'm totally not backing him up because it's not something I'm comfortable with. But so then he's left holding the bag like, okay, I'm basically telling lies on commentary. So <laughs> Makes sense, yeah, I think, yep, yep. you know. Uh, and I, you know, I talked to Pope about it too, and he was like, "I don't see why it's so serious." Like, not in terms of me, but he's like, "I don't know why." He didn't understand why Josh was so upset, or why the office is so upset. Like, like it's just a thing. It doesn't even have to be a thing. And sure enough, like after a couple episodes, it just stops trying to push that, you know, thing. But you know, it's just, it's just. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of an example of, like, taking the ball and running with it, and then your own team is tackling it, you know? <laughs> very, very good good point, good analogy there, for sure. <laughs> and with, yeah. you know, with the World Title Series, it's interesting because you're with Mandrews, uh, Tigre Uno, DJZ, but you don't really know that you're going to be paired with them, correct? No, like, um, uh, excuse me, um, we kind of knew that there was some sort of grouping and like uh, like some sort of round robin-ish type of thing going on because, you know, we would have to do those uh, table promos and stuff. Um, all of that stuff was taken in advance. 
so we knew that we were going to be working together in a group. We just didn't know that the groups were bracketed to work with each other and that it was really a tournament. We just thought, we thought maybe at best cruiserweight X division tournament that's going to be put on like a one night only. Like we thought it was just a small portion of what would be a show at some point. So yeah, we had no idea of the whole, like what was going to be made of it. Gotcha. And obviously one of the big things that came out of the world title series was kind of the breakup of the revolution with James Storm and Abyss and yourself. And obviously you, it kind of played out over several weeks and obviously it was all taped in advance, but did you actually like the gimmick and the storyline of the revolution with James Storm leading the pack? Yeah, I, I really genuinely enjoyed it. Um, I, uh, I was asked recently too about, um, I guess like my usage, if that makes any sense, like in, mm-hmm. in yep. terminology, like, um, and like, I don't, I don't really mind the last year compared to the previous couple years where I was like exhibition champion and like doing singles matches every week and stuff like that. Like I liked being in a semi non wrestling role and playing a different character and working with other characters. Like I liked that. I liked being on TV every other week or sometimes every week and doing like different stuff. I like exploring, you know, different parts of my charisma and my character and stuff like that. Um, So, I mean, I genuinely enjoyed it. I just feel like uh, in the beginning, it was obviously the way that, you know, we kind of, it was uh, presented to us. It was obviously kind of, I think meant to be like an A storyline for them. And there was a lot of flip-flop and priority of what they wanted to do. And so I think it just kind of sucks that it turned into something that wasn't a priority because I thought it could have been really good. I thought James did an amazing job at, you know, doing such a different character from what he normally does. And I thought that they put together a group of guys that are so vastly different that it could have been really interesting, but, you know, it just, it turned out to not, I think, get enough attention that it needed. So Definitely. It was definitely a cool group. Obviously, yourself, Abyss, and James Storm all playing different, but key roles to the group. And I felt like Storm maybe could have been pushed towards the world title a little bit more, and then it could have gave the group a little bit more exposure. Do you think that, or do you think that that's where it was headed, or do you really have no idea? Um, Mostly no idea, but I mean, I know that at some point they wanted... Um, to uh, break Shira off on his own and uh, turn him into a kind of a hero. And that was going to be his arc. And I think they wanted to aim James for something better. Um, and I presented a couple different times, I presented storylines to them that would help the group and actually help people outside of the group too. Um, one of them, uh, I remember writing like, six months to a year, depending on how they wanted to stretch it out individually, where, you know, we were, it was, I think, a pre, pre-UK tour last year when we were kind of doing stuff with the tag titles. And uh, I presented an idea where we would kind of aim us at the tag titles and James's end goal would be the world title. And I thought we can do a lot we could kill a lot of birds with one stone uh, playing, portraying a story this way because Shira is 
he's learning, but he's kind of struggling, you know, and he just needs more repetition. You know, he just needs more experience and being in front of, you know, on shows and stuff like that. And uh, I felt like James was being prioritized really low, being like a former world champion and, um, you know, just being positioned at like a tag belt, you know, like I felt like that was what he did in the beginning of his career. And they're kind of wasting a lot of the momentum he had. So I, uh, I wanted to tell a story where uh, Shira and Manic would remain friends the way that Manic recruited him and James would be angled at the world title and Manic would kind of be the misfit of the group, which is sort of why um, our promos portrayed it as that. All those things weren't written in originally with James smacking me around and stuff. I kind of had to, I told him to do that anyway, because I kind of wanted to accomplish several things, which, you know, as far as what I was writing for what I wanted to present to them. So that eventually, you know, the Manic character would cost them what they've earned, which is like the tag titles and stuff otherwise, and cost James, you know, his route to the world title. But in the process, he would find a way to win the X Division title, where James would want to take that and cash it in for the world title, which is what his end goal is. Um, basically, they took the framework of my story and just gave it to Spud. <laughs> so everything, <laughs> everything that Spud did where where he was being put upon and put upon with EC3 and eventually he pushed back. Originally I had written that as I'm being pushed by James and I'm costing the group a lot of stuff, but I'm trying really hard. And then eventually it gets to where, you know, people think James is going to kick me out, but he's making me stay in the group. And then, you know, we have a match and I lose my mask to him, but I also win the exhibition title he thinks I'll just give it to him, but I hold it over his head the same way that Spud lost a hair match instead of a mask match. And then he held the X division title over EC3's head because he has the world title shot um, and EC3 has to wait. So that was sort of what I had written for the group because then I could do a lot of tag work with Shira in the meantime and Shira would get a lot of sympathy in the end when he comes and, you know, basically saves me. Um, so I thought it was a great way of putting James in the position he needed to be at a higher bracket. It was a way to protect Shira and give him more experience. And so I could kind of like help guide him. And I thought it would raise the credibility of the X division too, to be an, an important story and to be taken seriously. And I thought, you know, obviously personally it would give me like a new direction to work with. So I thought it would help a lot of people that they took it and, gave it to one guy. So <laughs> this another, like one of the frustrating things of working at this level. So, yeah, that's very, very interesting and uh, kind of crazy, you know, you know, stolen ideas and doing this and that, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, would you know, or you brought, maybe I wouldn't even know, like who would be the writer that would steal that idea? Would it be like, uh, would it be a big John or would it be one of the lesser writers? Oh, I don't know. I mean, they, they all work together. So I think, you know, when you put something on the table, everybody could see it. Um, so I think, you know, it's up to them to decide what they're going to do. In this case, they just decided to take it completely and and uh, do it with somebody else. I mean, they did it again later, too. It's kind of when I learned to stop being proactive because <laughs> I remember uh, <laughs> at the time when uh, when some of the guys were leaving their contracts, 
and uh, we had heard James was leaving. And I remember going to them and saying, hey, like, what if we do a mask versus career match? Because nobody would expect uh, TNA original to lose that. And everybody would expect me to lose a mask match because everybody wants me to get out of the mask. And I thought that would be a great way to do that. And they said, no, it'll be too predictable. Everybody will know that James is leaving. And then literally the next day at TV, they did Spud versus Aries, Bowtie versus career match. Or I'm Hmm. sorry, nickname versus career match. And it was like, everybody knows Aries is leaving. You know, I don't know. It's just... That's just the way they operate, you know. And you kind of know that going in, so it's like I don't hate on it or anything. That's just part of – it's just part of working, you know. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, you, you've been in TNA for a long time. If you think about it, I mean, you really almost started in 2004. Obviously, it was off and on, and you were warranted all the way straight through. But you've had quite a run with TNA, and you've wrestled – a ton of great wrestlers and great talent, even, you know, dating back to the X Division days, I mean, Daniel Machavo, uh, Sanjay Duck, Chris Saban, a bunch of good uh, X Division guys. But something that was kind of funny to me, I don't know, you know, if it would be funny to you, but I remember when you were back in TNA and you were doing like the TNA X Cup. One year you'd be on Team Mexico, the next year you'd be on Team Japan. Did you have any, you know, issues with kind of, playing all those different roles and all those different characters, or is that something you embraced? Uh, no, it's, I, I, uh, I take pride in being able to, um, um, I don't want to say like bail out a situation because then that makes it seem like people are making mistakes and I have to save it. But I feel like my versatility is something I take pride in. So, I mean, I, I embrace situations like that. You know, I, I like, I like knowing that people can look at the room and say, well, there's one guy we can rely on to make that type of change, and it'll be him. Because it's like, I don't think they could look at everybody down the line and say, oh, well, we could stick anybody in this suit, and they're going to make suicide great. Or we can take anybody and trade them from Team Mexico to Team Japan, even though they're <laughs> neither Mexican or Japanese, and they can make it work. Like, I, I think that it's it's something that I – I think it's something for me to be proud of, I guess, that, that – uh, I think that's a sign of respect that they would look at me that way. Um, so, yeah, it's funny. I, I do remember that. And I did think it was funny at the time. Um, and it's just uh, uh, one of those. I remember at the time, there was one time when uh, I was <laughs> I was specifically told that if only I spoke Spanish, I would have a full-time job. And I remember thinking... Wow, that's incredibly racist because I'm not even Hispanic at all, and I don't understand why, even if I was, I would need to speak Spanish in order to work. That, like, I don't know, it's just it would be like saying, Hey, you know, AJ Styles needs to speak French or some other, you know, like <laughs> some other, like, like white European like language or something. Just, I don't know, I, I thought that that was funny at the time, so trading teams I thought was funny too. Just, just part of, I don't know, my whole career is a lot of, not the whole career, but a lot of it has been, you know, trying to create something out of nothing and make something work when when maybe it's not gonna. So, yeah, I take pride in it. That's good to hear because TNA does, you know, obviously does some wacky stuff. So it's good, you know, that you're, you're very professional and you kind of roll the punches and it kind of shows you what a team player you are for sure. But what if TNA were to say to you, like, 
all right, we're going to bring you back. Would you be interested in going back? Or are you kind of like, yeah, you guys are, you know, you guys are kind of pushing it a little too far now. You know, I'm going to test my, uh, you know, test my, you know, test the waters, if you will. I mean, I absolutely want to test the waters. I kind of had been thinking about that anyway. Um, I never really had any intention of leaving, however. Um, I just had thought that it's mostly just because I'm getting older on paper. I don't look older. I don't look like I'm older. I don't work like I'm older, I don't think. Um, but, you know, like you start to think about, you know, as an adult, like how long is my career going to be? So I didn't want to um, get too comfortable before I start getting into like deeper into the second half of my career. Um, I wouldn't be opposed at all to going back or anything like that. I mean, I didn't really have any problems. I just, I would just want to feel like there's a better sense of management, like prioritizing and like responsibility on that end. You know, because it's, it's, uh, there's some stuff that it's not like, it's not like it makes me upset, but it can be disheartening, you know, especially when you're trying to be proactive and you're trying to do so many positive things and you feel like you're kind of being sabotaged in a way. Like, you know, it doesn't make me angry. It's just, uh, I would just hope that there was less discouraging things like that, you know, in order to be able to contribute. Absolutely, and TNA obviously has gone through a lot of changes. I mean, the Hogan Bischoff era, you know, Big John, kind of his little era. Bruce Prichard was there for a bit. Obviously, Vince Russo back and forth for a while. Jeff Jarrett for a while. Do you think at the core of it all, it's kind of Dixie Carter that needs to maybe get this script righted and say, you know, I need to hire the right people and we need to start prioritizing better? Maybe. I mean, you know, it's obviously going to be up to her, the type of – administration that she builds, you know, I think people get the wrong idea about it as far as like, she's not as hands-on as people think. Like, it's not like she's single-handedly making like decisions that, you know, turn out to be stuff that people don't like or whatever the case is. And she's mostly just trying to delegate the best that she can. And, you know, I've never had any bad experience with her. And I don't think that, I think she's pretty smart. Um, I do think that, I do think that a lot of people tend to come in and squander the opportunity as far as looking at it as sort of a free ride. I sort of feel like people have like personal agendas with the way that they handle the job, but I mean, that's probably with anywhere. So, I mean, you can't really like, I mean, it's not like something you could single out as far as, Oh, this is, this is place problem. Like, no, that's every place's problem. (laughs) But, um, but I do feel like some people come in and, and they don't contribute what they need to in a positive way as far as making changes. They just try to play it safe or do certain things that are not efficient. Or sometimes they just downright do things out of personal pride. And it's like, you know, there's a whole group of people in the locker room and on the production staff that are really trying genuinely to, um, you know, make up some ground. And it sucks when there's multiple agendas going on, I think. Definitely. Now, if I could move, you know, past TNA for a bit and kind of rewind a little bit to ROH. Now, obviously, you know, you spent some time there in 2005 and kind of randomly throughout the years. And then, you know, you were there up until I think it was about 2010, 2011 or so. But you kind of asked for your release. What was the story behind asking for your release after almost, I think you just uh, got a contract. Maybe I'm wrong on that part, but, you know, you actually... No, yeah, I, I was there, I think two years and I still had some time left on my contract 
Um, I just asked for my release only be it, it was a. So we had gotten to a point where not all the guys, but some of them, and not even a lot, like just a few guys, they were having trouble, like having keeping some guys on the schedule consistently. You know, I was I was one of them. I think the Young Bucks were a couple others, and there there was a few of us that were kind of stuck in a in an odd position. And um, I I remember Jim holding a production meeting one day because. Or like not a, or like a like a locker room meeting, and he was kind of like perturbed that some of the guys were bickering amongst each other. Like it was like personal stuff, and he was kind of like having to play dad, you know. And uh, I think maybe some of the guys had done like shoot interviews on each other, some weird stuff like that. And anyway, he was like, "Look, you guys got to stop doing that because it's it affects us being able to have a workplace and things like that." But he did end up going into like, and if there's anybody that doesn't, like, want to be here and they're not comfortable, like, say something if you want to leave or whatever. And, like, I raised my hand. Normally, guys, you know, they, they'll – everybody says they would, like, do that, and they don't, and then they'll do it behind closed doors. <laughs> but, like, I don't want to be that guy. So, you know, I raised my hand. And I told them later, they're, they're like, okay, we'll talk to you after we're done. So, you know, I explained to them, look, I'm actually not unhappy at all. It's just I know the position you guys are in and I know the position that I'm in. And um, I have an opportunity to go to TNA and they've inquired, but I'm under contract and I just want to know if, you know, I could have my release and then I could, uh, you know, pursue another opportunity. And they were great about it, you know. Jim especially was, like, incredibly gracious. Like, he said, we'll have it handled immediately. It's no problem. He offered to, like, call and give a recommendation and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, it's not necessary. And it's just, you know, just as long as we can do this amicably. And it was totally cool. Like him and Hunter were great about it. So, and obviously, you know, you did have a pretty good run there, and you had a bunch of good matches with a lot of random, you know, great talent at ROH at the point. But was it at the point where you just had to leave despite all that great talent? Uh, yeah. I just like. I don't think. I mean, similar with. Um, it's sort of a similar case as as, um, as with TNA, uh, but in, in a more a lot more forthcoming sort of way. Like in TNA, there's no such thing as a brass ring. Like I I sort of think like it's it's evident by like the, like the last like recent history, I guess, of me because there there's obviously a lot of support there, and there's a commodity that they have that they can put out, but I'm not preordained as the guy that they want to do that. So they refuse to. So there's no such thing as a, as a brass ring. That, that's our, that's a, that ring has already been delegated to somebody. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they mailed that ring to somebody and it's sitting on somebody's... In, somebody's. Mm-hmm. in Ring of Honor, like, I sort of felt like like I wasn't a chosen one either. But, you know, they they weren't... They wouldn't hide it. They knew they you know, everybody knew who, who the company was going with and we all sort of supported that internally. It wasn't really like um a disheartening thing. Um and you know, if some guys were doing better than you know, they would still kind of, you know, entertain that thought and see what they can do with it. Not always, but sometimes. Um but you know, like in my case, like we would do you know, our pre taped interviews and stuff like that. And oftentimes I would, uh, I, you know, I would never follow my script. I would go off it and, and do different stuff and try to, you know, put more of myself into it. 
And a lot of times, like, the boy, because we would all sit together in the studio doing it, and the boys would be entertained by the things I was saying, and, like, I was more comfortable with it. But then Jim and Hunter would want me to do it a certain way. So I would do a second take. And then, you know, all other times I'd, I'd ask them, can I make this change or that change? They'd say, well, let's get a couple takes and we'll just see what we get. And they would always use what they wanted. So it was always end up like exactly how the script went. And I just thought that that made me look boring. So it's not like I fault them for that, but I know that like they wanted what they wanted. And I felt like maybe I could do other stuff and come back to this later and, and it could be different. So you know, the opportunity came up to go to TNA, so you know, I just I just made a change. It was a comfortable one. Well, you know, with ROH, obviously, you know, there's a ton of talent there, but, you know, you, you said, like you said, you wanted to move on to TNA. You kind of moved on to greener pastures, if you will. But if I can rewind back to your New Japan dojo days for a second, because that is so fascinating, that group of guys that was over there training and all the guys that were kind of on the start with New Japan Pro Wrestling at that point, obviously Brian Danielson was one of them in that dojo with you, Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes. But what was that dojo like in Los Angeles? Because I believe Nakamura was actually there at one point as well. Yeah, yeah. Nakamura was there a little bit. He was um, still kind of a young boy at the time. They sent him over there to um, kind of as an excursion. We also had... Um, uh, Yoshitatsu, too, when he was a young boy. Um, so that was pretty cool. I, in retrospect, it's pretty cool, you know, just to see, like, how far those guys have come and mm. and everything that they've done, you know. Um, the, I mean, the gym was rugged. Uh, so it was so was the Tokyo one, though, at the time. Um, New Japan itself in Tokyo was still very old school. Um, the gym we built was more modern as far as equipment, but maybe more rugged in terms of what we had, to, what was expected of us. So, I mean, I remember when the gym formed and it was just me and uh, Romero and Reyes, and that was it. And they recruited us from UPW, which was um, what was at one time a WWF developmental. Like where Cena came from in Victoria and Miz. Oh yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So when when UPW had uh, cut ties with WWE, or rather vice versa, <laughs> I don't think it was UPW's decision. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so then they hooked up with Zero One, and then part of the office and the infrastructure there was from New Japan, and some of them were going to continue working in New Japan, namely the Inokis. So then they recruited me and Ricky and Rocky, basically as the first guys for the gym that Anoki wanted to build as the secondary location for New Japan in Los Angeles. So, I mean, we were there when it was like dirt floors and we laid the mats and built the ring and all that stuff. And um, eventually, after a couple months, Brian came and then it was just us four and that's what it was for like the first year. And, I mean, it was like we never touched the ring. Like, we never did wrestling pro wrestling training at all, ever. We would show up every day, Monday through Friday, from 10 a.m. to like 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and we would just box, grapple, and that was it. And condition. That's all we did every day for like a year. Um, 
And then towards the end of the year in October, we had, they decided they were going to um, bring us out um, and on the tour in pre- uh, right before the Tokyo Dome that wraps up the year. They used to have three Tokyo Domes a year. Now it's just one, but they used to have three. They would do January, May, and October. And so they were going to bring us out in October. And uh, I had finally just turned 18 a few weeks before in September. So they processed like my contract, my visa. Finally, I wasn't going to be illegal. (laughs) So they uh, processed my paperwork and sent me. And then from that point on, basically I would always train in LA, but if I went on tour, I would also live in the dojo in between tours. And like I stayed in Benoit's dorm room and would wake up and sweep the floors and, you know, do all the squats and push ups and all the stuff that, you know, young boys do out there carry bags. Uh, I had to wash Nakanishi's back once. <laughs> oh boy. Like, yeah. Like it was, you know, I was, uh, it was very old schoolish. Uh, now it's totally different. They don't, they don't work the guys very hard like they used to. And uh, it's a lot more modernized at, at the time that I was there. It was more like being in the military in like the forties. So, <laughs> yeah. But I guess with all that training and all that stuff that they put you through, they do, you know, I guess have a level of respect for you after that. And they definitely showed some with you. Obviously, you know, with the Puma gimmick, they were saying it's very much like Tiger Mask. And obviously you team with Tiger Mask 4, but I'm, you know, referring to the original Tiger Mask. Do you consider that like a huge honor considering, you know, how legendary Tiger Mask is? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh... It was pretty incredible. I mean, I remember when we were first still in L.A., we hadn't gone over to Japan yet. And they had the director and uh, some of the office come by to, like, see our progress and just, um, you know, check out the office and stuff and all that. And I remember um, uh, the director, Uwai, at the time, they they observed me, like, working out in the ring and and doing and wrestling and stuff. And they... Uh, at first, the first time they saw me, they thought I was exactly like Rey Mysterio, and they were really excited. They were like, oh, it's like Mysterio, because I was doing a lot of Lucha Libre, and I was smaller, you know, so, um, and, like, the rest of the group, the guys were older than me, so, um, you know, these guys were, like, in their early 20s, and, like, really more, like, hitting their physical prime, and I was a teenager, so they, they looked at me totally different. Like, they looked at me like a more long-term project, because I had the years to put in. Whereas the other guys, they needed to capitalize on them sooner. Um, so then the next time they saw me, they got to see more that I was, I guess because I moved like how Sayama used to move. And I I uh, embraced boxing a little bit more. And, and the Lucha Libre I would use is more old schoolish stuff. So then they were like, oh, no, he's actually just like Sayama. <laughs> and, uh, I remember my first tour, uh, the first match I had, it was against uh, Ricky and Rocky, actually, in a tag match. But then the second day, they had me wrestle Tiger Mask 4 in a singles match by myself. And I remember thinking, man, that's really cool. And he was like, Tiger Mask was like, no, you need to do all my moves and do all this stuff. Like, it's going to be really cool. And, and so we did, and he was awesome about it. He's always been awesome to me. I love, like, we have a really good amount of mutual respect, uh, Tiger Mask 4 and I. Um and then years later at an Inoki event, I got to meet Sayama himself, and it was it was really awesome too. So he's absolutely one of the greats, and obviously to be compared to him is huge honor and just pretty damn cool. And then also another cool thing you got to do was compete in the Best of Super Juniors tournament over there, which is quite cool. What was the, you know your feeling on 
experiencing that? Well, it was, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. It's kind of surreal to describe it because, like, same thing as, as when they compared me stylistically to, like, Mysterio or Sarama. It's not like they're comparing me, like, in magnitude or anything like that. I mean, these guys mm-hmm. change the world. I'm just, I'm just trying to change my day. <laughs> so, like, but, like, being in the Super Juniors, it was like, because, you know, I finally, you know, I became, I was like a young boy as a teenager, and New Japan was always my bucket list goal. And I know it sounds like a lie, like, like every guy wants to go to WWE, and that's true because it had been the benchmark for any generation for, like, ever. Like, anybody who's alive, WWE was your benchmark. Um, But I always loved New Japan so much. That's where I wanted to be. And I just thought, like, when I first started in 1998, it was like, okay, you go to WWF or WCW. And those are realistic goals. They're here. And someday you could find a way to get there. But it was like, since the internet wasn't really a big thing at that time, social media didn't exist. So it's like, how the hell do you get to Mexico or like New Japan? That seems like you'd have easier luck going to the moon, you know? Hmm. So... Uh, when that happened to be the first thing that fell on my lap, I mean, it was such a surreal experience. And then doing the Super Juniors, it was like, geez, you know, like my heroes did this, you know, Eddie Guerrero did this, and now I get to do this. But, you know, it's weird because, like, I remember Liger pulling me aside one day and he was like, he said something about, like, us as a group, me, Ricky, Rocky, Brian, TJ Wilson, and Harry at the time, they would kind of alternate tours with us. Um, and he's, he would talk about our generation. And he would refer to us like as if we were like the Malenkos, Benoit's, Jericho's, or whatever, um, Guerrero's to come next. And it was like, that's weird. Like, you know, like you're kind of uncomfortable hearing it, but he's like, listen. Like, he told me, he's like, listen, you're sleeping in Benoit's old dorm room. You're doing the Super Juniors. You're doing all the things that they did. Like, this is what you're doing. Like, embrace it and build upon it. So it took a while to kind of get comfortable doing, like, working at that level because it was like, for me anyway, it's like, I don't feel, I feel like I can never touch my heroes. But one of my heroes is telling me, look, you're here. Just, you got to start acting like it. So, you know, it helped me focus on things from that point on. That's pretty damn cool, man, with you being uh, from TNA and New Japan Pro Wrestling, kind of looking for some uh, stars with supposedly AJ Styles and Nakamura <laughs> leaving. Any chance of you going back there? Have you maybe contacted Rocky Romero and, and seen if you could get back in uh, New Japan? Well, I mean, I talk to Rocky all the time, and I don't know, maybe. I mean, they kind of have a revolving door, uh, but the junior division is always stacked over there. So, I mean, it's just it's hard, especially when – you know, you leave and then, you know, your spot is gone. So, you know, I'd love to go back there. Um, or even, you know, like another group, like I would love to come and, uh, and, and work for Noah. Like I've never worked for Noah and they have such a, a rich history and they're, they're, you know, they're still around and they're still working. And some of my best friends have gone through there and done great things. Like it would just be cool to go and, and uh, kind of, revisit stuff from earlier parts of my career. Um, but yeah, I mean, New Japan, I'll always consider that home. So, you know, I would love to go back. And 
Speaking of New Japan Pro Wrestling, I believe you hold the win over the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Kazuchika Okada. Is that correct? Um, let me think. Uh, I don't know, actually. Uh, uh, I actually, I do think I, I do. I, I, I believe we've wrestled, I, we've wrestled, I think, twice. One time, both of them were in Canada. And I think he was part of a match that I did win, yes. And we, uh, we, um, the other one actually was the better match, though. Uh, myself <laughs> and Liger, <laughs> mm-hmm. myself and Liger tagged against him and uh, Ultimo Dragon, which was to me that was a pretty big deal because it's like Liger and Dragon and against each other in North America doesn't happen like every day. So it was cool to be part of that. And Okada's, just, I mean, that's another situation where it's like seeing somebody like one of your peers accomplish so much is. You know, it's amazing. I'm so, like, happy for, you know, how much he's grown and what he's been able to do because he's so talented. It, it's just, like, it looked for a little while like people weren't going to capitalize on it. So. Yeah, look at him now. He's one of the best in the world, and he's absolutely amazing. But with you, is there a chance? Of, I mean, obviously, it's out there because you're a free agent, but what do you think about going back to, like, Evolve and Dragon Gate USA, if, if they're still around, and FIP, and maybe make a, a stop over at PWG again? Is that, like, on your radar right now? Uh, Evolve, definitely. I mean, Evolve actually had reached out to me, <clears throat> what was it, uh, I think March, and uh, I came back and, and wrestled a, a few events for them around WrestleMania weekend uh, last year. And uh, and they kept me on as schedule permitted, and so far I've been a pretty regular uh, performer for them. And actually, next week I'm part of the three shows uh, during Royal Rumble weekend, so um, I'll be there for that. And going forward, I'll be, you know, they'll be one of my main priorities going forward. Uh, you know, barring any you know big career changes. Uh, and uh, uh, and mostly the uh, Dragon Gate has kind of been absorbed into what they're doing. So for the most part, it's one and the same. And uh, PWG, maybe, they're kind of a boutique promotion. So it's kind of, spots are always limited and the volume of shows is not very high. So, you know, and it's it's so hugely popular and they recruit so well as far as, you know, different name talent for their cards. So, you know, I'd probably be in and out, but the regularity, I'm not so sure because it's just, it's they do so much um, with so little, so... Absolutely, but it's great to hear about Evolve, and uh, obviously they're stepping up their game big time with being tied in there with WWE and stuff. Have you ever thought about NXT at all? Um, I mean, yeah, obviously, like I would, you know, it's it's uh, it would be an interest of mine and a place I'd want to go. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm like the type of guy that they're looking for. Um, personally, I don't really think that I'd be the type of guy that they'd go for, but, you know, I mean, it would be cool if they did. And, um, and, you know, I would love to be, you know, part of the system there on a full-time basis. You know, I've, I've performed on WWE shows and stuff in the past and I'm familiar with the system. I've trained in a couple of different developmentals, but, you know, it'd be, it'd be really cool to, to, um, you know, to settle down in a place, you know, that, you know, like I said, it served as the benchmark for everything we do, you know, for so long. That is very true. And obviously, you know, you 
made some appearances for WB, you know, randomly here or there and for ECW and stuff when uh, the new ECW came around. So it's not something that you kind of haven't done, but something that maybe you would like to do maybe on a larger scale with them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, like I said, I mean, everybody coming up, I mean, that's going to be part of their goals. if not the main goal. Um, you know, and it'd be an honor to be part of that system, of course. And I've got a lot of friends there, so, you know, it'd be a lot of fun for me. And like, for me, a lot of it is, is comes down to fun and responsibility. Like I want to, you know, make a good living or rather continue making a good living. And, um, and I want to have fun. I want to be in a place where I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I knocked out my bucket list by the time I was like 21 years old. Everything I could do, everything I wanted to do, I did by the time I was 21. I wrestled in the WWE ring. I wrestled for, well, WCW, I kind of missed the boat. But TNA became what WCW was, so then I did that. Um, you know, on pay-per-view, on TV, CMLL and, and New Japan and AAA and, you know, Canada, Europe, all these different things. Um, so since then, it's really just been about, like, maintaining your career and learning as much as I can. Oh, I always want to learn as much as I can and keep, you know, stay a student and, um, you know, just to uh, be a good businessman and be, you know, a good professional and, you know, make money and take care of my family and stuff like that. So, so I mean, uh, I think it would be a really fun place to go and it's, you know, obviously really great. Absolutely. Now, as I wind it down a bit here, I just was very curious because you named so many great guys that you were able to to wrestle with and, you know, so many great guys you're able to work with. But do you have a dream match or maybe a, of a guy you didn't wrestle? Um, I don't know if it was a dream match, but uh, I think it would be cool if I, uh, like one guy who's eluded me and we come from the same generation is, is actually AJ. Um hmm. You know, he started, a, like, a couple years before I did. And I eventually came along in, like, 98. And uh, over the years, I mean, I've wrestled, like, pretty much everybody. He's the only guy I've never, we've never touched in the ring. And so, um, you know, and, and then, like, I, you know, he was in TNA, and, and then he left. And so, you know, I missed him there. Like, we didn't have a chance to work with each other and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, he's a good buddy of mine, too, like in the locker room. We, we share a lot of the same interests, you know, big sports fan, big video games fan. Like, so we we, uh, we hit it off really well. But, um, you know, and then, uh, like, so he left TNA as I was coming back into it. He went to New Japan when I haven't been there in a while. And, you know, now, now I mean, he might have, you know, his opportunity to go to the NXT or WWE system and, uh, you know, um, I guess if I would want to, I'd have to follow him there in order to in order to uh, <laughs> achieve that match. But uh, yeah, he's the one guy from my generation who, you know, he's been like the the flagship guy for my generation. And there aren't too many. Like you think of every generation, there's a guy that kind of represents that generation. You know, the Hulk Hogan's and the Stings or whatever of the world. Um, like this generation, he's really the guy. You know, it's really basically him or Punk. That's it. I mean, like Brian, to a certain extent, a little bit later, but it seems like AJ's always been the iconic guy that represents this generation. And you know, just it'd be cool to uh, to have gotten in with him. Definitely, definitely true. Now, as far as guys you actually have wrestled, have gotten in the ring with, do you have a favorite match that stands out to you? Maybe you know, a couple matches that stand out. Um. 
I mean, I got a lot, I guess, just for different reasons. Um, more personal reasons that, like, a lot of people maybe it wouldn't mean as much to them or people wouldn't understand. But, um, like, uh, let's see, the uh, the series of matches that I had in CMLL with uh, Rocky Romero and Bobby Quantz, uh with um, Ricky Marvin and Virus and Volador, those were those stand out to me a lot just because, you know, I was, as an 18 year old kid and wrestling in CMLL and like one of the places that, you know, I dreamed of doing someday and all of a sudden it get arrived much quicker than I thought it would have. And, uh, we were doing these matches and, and they, they always, you know, turned out really well. And we were, you know, part of all these arena Mexico sellouts and, uh, you know, fans were throwing money in the ring after all the matches and stuff, which, um, um, in Lucha Libre custom, that's not only rare, but it's extremely rare for them to do that for Americans just because it's a sign of respect that they uh, they think that your match was above and beyond, you know, what uh, what they would have expected. And, um, you know, so that, that was really kind of a uh, surreal time in my life, just having just started touring with New Japan and then going and living there for like a year and doing all that. So those series of matches will always stand out as, something to me that it's always going to be like stuck in a time warp. Like those are just so special to me. I gotcha. And, and do you have any favorite opponents that you can, you know, somebody you click with really well, or maybe somebody that you just really, really enjoyed working with? Um, usually it's always guys that I'm really good friends with. Um, Davey Richards comes to mind. Uh, Rocky Romero comes to mind with the Reyes as well. Um, usually, uh, you know, any time I can remember being in the ring with those guys, it's always, been a lot of fun and it's always been very easy because you know we're like styles make fights same thing as like boxing you know so it's it's always fun because they they think along the same lines and and um you know and and and, you know we share a lot of interests like outside the ring and we all share a bond and so you know those guys come to mind and now i always refer to this as the DDP question because that's how he prefaced it when we talked to him. So it's almost like a, where do you see yourself in five years? Wow. Good question. It's funny because I, I don't really, uh, I've never really formulated a plan because so much of what what is, so much of a person's career in this type of field is uh, beyond any person's control, any one person's control, you know? So it's not as easy as, you know, another career path where you could say, okay, I'm going to go to school here. If not that, then maybe here. And then after that, I'm going to apply, you know, to these places and I'm going to aim to work here. Like you almost can't do that at all because so much of it is beyond your control. And so having, like I said, knocked out so much of, my bucket list when I was so young, I really kind of, I don't know if it would be a Zen approach, but I tried to look at stuff with a very open revolving door because you don't know what opportunity is going to come up next. And um, so I've tried to avoid trying to make plans or looking too far ahead because, you know, I'd rather stay in the moment. And it's kind of like um, there's a saying that Phil Jackson used to tell um, for the Bulls teams he coached and also the Lakers teams he coached. And um, 
it's like an old proverb you would say before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water so it's sort of a lesson in staying in the moment and not getting too far outside of yourself and not thinking too far ahead and um, just worrying about the task at hand and letting life come to you, so to speak, and just handling your business at the moment. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, mostly I would just hope that I'm still wrestling. (laughs) 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 That's really it. Like, I just hope that uh, I can stay healthy and keep wrestling. I mean, I've been doing it 17 years, but I'm just barely 30, 31 years old. So, I mean, if I'm lucky, I can do another 15 or 17 years if I stay healthy and, um, you know, that's what I would like to do. And as long as I'm doing it in a place where I'm making a good living still and I'm having fun and I'm with, you know, people I like and friends of mine, then, you know, I really couldn't ask for more. It doesn't really matter to me what the banner says above my head as long as those elements are present. Absolutely. And well said from the Zen master, for sure. <laughs> for Phil there. Yeah. Now, just one last question I have for you. You know, I didn't want to really end it on, on a, like a sour note or anything, but obviously, you know, one of the biggest stories of, of last year was the, the death of Paro Aguayo. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you were involved in the match. Tigre Uno was involved in the match. Uh, Rey Mysterio. Was that kind of just like a surreal moment in, in, you know, your wrestling career, something you kind of never thought you would be witness to? Yeah, I mean, you, uh, I mean, it's weird, like, when you sign up for this and when you do it, I say sign up, but that phrase sounds so cliche and stupid. <laughs> when you start doing this and you get into it, you know, you know, it's explained to you the worst things that could happen. Um, and it's not just that, like physical stuff. I mean, anything like, you know, you could, uh, you know, you, you can bet it all and, and give your best and have none of it reciprocated. And a lot, like I was homeless at one point. I knew that going in that times could be hard and times could be really hard. So when, when the worst things actually happened, you know, I wasn't surprised by it. Cause it's like, you know, that this could happen. Don't be shocked when it happens to you. Life isn't fair. You know, like I just, I wasn't considered a priority where I was just working, but mm-hmm. life's not fair. That could happen. So, but you know, sometimes times are good. Like I wasn't, you know, it was I wasn't shocked either when I was wrestling in the Tokyo Dome when I was eighteen. So you know, things sometimes things are good. But in this case it's like you know you could get hurt. You know people could die, but you just you're never really prepared for it. But it's just one of those things. You you know that these things are present and it's hard, but you try not to be too shocked when the worst things happen. But never in a million years did I think that the absolute worst possible thing that could ever happen would be something that I would witness just because, I mean, it's happened so few times ever in history. So it's just like, you know, it's to this day, it's so, it's like a dream, you know, it's, it's like weird to think that it even happened. Definitely. Definitely. And saying the way it happened was crazy too, because it didn't really look like anything and he almost looked like he was okay. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. And especially if you're there, I'm sure, you know, obviously it was even crazier. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just weird. I mean, no explanation really explains it, and nothing could possibly describe what it's like to be in that moment, you know? It's just, it's so surreal and just weird, so hard to uh, to wrap your head around. 
Definitely. Now, one, you know, last thing I definitely want to ask is where can the fans, you know, they, where can they get TJP? Because, you know, they want TJP. We want TJP. Where can the fans find you? And, again, where will you be wrestling coming up? Um, well, immediately, um, you guys can catch me Evolve. Uh, for anybody that's looking for me, if you're listening. Uh, so Evolve has a, a three-show weekend, uh, the Royal Rumble weekend coming up in Florida. Um, that's the immediate future. Um, for West Coast fans, uh, if you can make it out to Lucha Vivoom shows, they've got some coming up around Valentine's Day week. And uh, those are such incredible live shows. It's really one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite, uh, live wrestling event to do. Um, and as far as other stuff, I mean, uh, I mean, as as uh, stuff comes up, you can find out, you know, what I'm doing on my Twitter. But as far as uh, like a major direction, um, you know, I'm sure uh, I'll make a decision soon. As far as as far as <laughs> what next uh, road is is the right one for me. So as far as uh, that goes, um, pretty much all doors are open at the moment. And so you know, hopefully shortly here I'll figure out which one is uh, the right one for now. Awesome. And maybe Tokyo could be in your future again. Hey, you know, you never know. Hey, maybe the temple. I don't know. Oh. Luke Underground's got a hell of a show, too. Oh, good point. I forgot about Luke Underground there. Great, great point there. Now, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming. I really, really appreciate the time. No, thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's, um, it's really nice, you know, to... Uh, dive back into some of this stuff. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to get to a point in my career and it's been so long that, uh, that I forget everything, you know? <laughs> so it's nice to kind of re- rewind a little bit and remind myself because, you know, it's a little bit longer than most people. True. Hey, it's been a hell of a 17 year run so far and, uh, many more prosperous years for you, hopefully.